Father, we want to go there. Hallelujah. We sing with the choir. Praise the Lord. We're still basking in the, the joy of those three beautiful testimonies, three new friends of Jesus. And it occurs to me, Father, there may be somebody here who watched those three and is thinking, you know what? I could do that. I could be baptized and follow Christ. If that's the case, would, would the Holy Spirit please take these next few moments and maybe you and he, you, you and she, talk this out. Right now, may this story come alive for us. Exiles. In Jesus' name, amen. So how can I possibly tell you a story you already know? Maybe we try this. Tonight, midnight, your place. Could be a house, could be, a, could be an apartment, could be a mobile home. Tonight, at midnight, go into a closet. Shut the door behind you. You've got the closet light on, of course. Take a couple, three deep breaths, and then turn the light out. Pitch black. Darkness, right? Yeah. And now imagine that while you're in that position, dark closet, the walls, the four walls begin to push in on you. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you feel walls touching your shoulders and you realize that your arms are pinned to your side. Suddenly the wall in front of you, which you cannot see, is touching your nose. The wall behind you that you cannot see is touching your head. And if that weren't claustrophobic enough, let's take all fresh air out of that closet. That'd be okay? And replace it with this pungent, like pins in the nostrils, ammonia. And your gut begins to twist in advance of a wretch. And while you're there in the dark, if that weren't enough, something is touching you. And you don't know what it is. Is it alive? I don't know. It's probing your orifices. Slimy to the touch. Ah. What are you talking about? Take a look at these words on the screen, please. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head, and from deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help. Who prayed that prayer? Where did he pray it? In the belly of a whale, of course. You know, they have this saying, uh, you can run, but you can't, you can't hide. I think for Jonah, the converse is just as true. You can hide, but you can't run. Where can you run in a whale's belly? Nowhere. Open your Bible with me to this world-loved story of Jonah and the whale. We're going to take five minutes while you find the book of Jonah, all right? Five minutes, but that's it. Five minutes up, we're moving on. All right. It's a little tiny book tucked into the minor prophets, the 12 last uh, prophets in the Old Testament. All right, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. And by the way, while while you're finding it, because you're still looking, let me put the title slide on the screen for you. We're in this, we're in this Away From Our Home Church series called In Exile, Cadences of Home, titled today, Here Am I, Send Them. 
Yeah, but Dwight, come on. Time out. You can't put Jonah in with these exile stories. Oh, yes, you can. I learned that scholars, in fact, define what they call diasporic. Oh, big word. But the diaspora, you know, when the Jews were spread out, scattered all over the Roman Empire, diasporic morality tales. And scholars believe that these stories were carefully preserved. They were passed on to exile, to exile, to exile, to show you how you can maintain the faith in a land that is not your own, to show you how your religion can survive exile. And scholars believe Jonah's story was a big teaching story. So we're including him. All right, Jonah, let's go. We're going to start at the end of the story. So you've got Jonah. We'll go to the end of the story first. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What seemed wrong? What seemed wrong is that God has just saved the entire city of Nineveh. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. I'm going to share with you something now that I have never seen before. How many times have I read the, how many times have I preached on the book of Jonah? I have no idea. But I never saw this till this last week. And that's why I'm really jazzed about passing it on to you. Because watch the next line. I read it again. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Now, listen to this. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. At the end of his story, because Jonah wrote his own story, at the end of his story, he gives us a hint of his mindset at the beginning of his story. Never saw that before. I mean, what do we know about Jonah? Well, we all know how the story begins. The story begins, uh, let's, let's put the first line of the story up on the screen for you. Jonah, tiny little book, you can see it right there. Jonah 1, verse 3. But Jonah did what? Jonah ran away. From whom? He ran away from the Lord. Everybody knows that story. God comes to the prophet. He says, yo, Jonah, I I, I have something I need you to do. I'm sending you to the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst cities on earth. I'm sending you to Nineveh, and I want you to take to them this little message. Watch me, Jonah. Watch me. I want you to tell them that I am this close. See that? I am this close to nuking them. Nuking. And Jonah says, yes, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. Thank you for those instructions. Hasta la vista. And he's gone. He runs. (laughs) You know what I used to think? I used to think that the reason Jonah ran was because he's afraid of cat. Just didn't have the guts to be able to go into that evil city and proclaim God's message. But there hasn't been a, a, a reader around that hasn't come to that same conclusion because let's just admit it, heard on the street, the Assyrians are the... You don't want the Assyrians living in your country. Infamous, famous, barbaric cruelty. They invented impaling. Well, I don't know if they invented it, but they perfected it. You know what impaling is? You take a pole, you sharpen the tip, and then you run, run the pole straight up the torso this way until it comes out somewhere, and you hang there beneath the sun, writhing and dying until you're gone. (laughs) 
readers read the book of Jonah and say, yeah, I know why. I would be afraid. I would never go to Nineveh. Wrong. Not what you're just about to see. Watch this. Fascinating. Let's, let's, uh, let's read verse 2 again. And so Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I was planning on stopping something from happening. Happening. Keep reading. I knew, God, that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You are a God who relents from sending calamity. I know who you are. And you have done exactly what I was afraid you were going to do. I can't believe this. I know you, gracious, compassionate, abounding in love. But I got to tell you something. I read my contemporary Hosea's prediction. And I said, that'll never happen in Israel. Jonah was a, a patriot. He was a loyalist and an isolationist. We got, we got people like that all over the planet today. That was Jonah. He, his contemporary put it on. Hosea chapter, Hosea chapter 9, verse 3. Hosea, the, the fellow prophet, wrote, they, that's talking about the ten tribes of Israel, they will not remain in their land. Mm-mm. Ephraim, that's a code name for them. Ephraim will eat unclean food from where? Jonah says, this is a no-brainer. That prediction says, I'm going to become an exile one day, and I do not want to be, no, thank you, an exile. So when God comes to him and says, come on, Jonah, we got a plan. Nope. Adios. God says, go east. He goes west. You can run, but you can't hide. You can hide, but you can't run. Yep. Everybody loves the story of Jonah. And the best part is coming up right now. I am grateful for my friend Brian Strayer introducing that word regurgitate into our consciousness. That's very good, Brian. Yeah. Okay, so we got to get Jonah out of the whale because that's where we've left him. He's in the whale. Go to verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited. This is the NIV. It vomited Jonah onto dry land. Man, that has got to be one loud sound when that took place. Because we've had pet dogs, you know, and you just know immediately when it's about to happen. Can't imagine what a whale would sound like. Okay, go on. Come on. Don't stop there. Verse 1, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Boy, is God merciful or what? Has he come to you a second time? Has he ever come to you a third time? Has he come to you a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time? Look at him. The word of the Lord came to him a second time because he's still a God of mercy. He says, all right, Jonah. I want you to go to that great city. I'm repeating my commission. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And this time, yep, you got it. Jonah obeys. And he proclaims a very short message. In Hebrew, it's, excuse me, in Hebrew, it's only five words long. So he goes to that first city block because he tells us in this chapter that it takes three days to walk across, three days to cross a city. So it must be a big, big city. He goes to the first block and he utters the five words. I tried to get the message down to five words in English and here, here, here is how it goes. I need to look at it to make sure I know. <laughs> Four, 40 days 
you are nuked. That's it. Five words long. He goes to the next block, stands on that next street corner. And he said, yo, 40 days, you are nuked. He walks to the next block. 40 days, you are nuked. Day after day after day. And guess what? Finally, the king gets the message. You got to read this. This is something else. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God, thanks to Jonah. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Keep reading. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. So here comes the royal proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Sounds like a preacher, doesn't he? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That came from the highest political office in the land. Wow. As it was with the exile Esther, as it was with the exile Daniel, as it was with the exile Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so it is in the story of Jonah. Have you noticed there's a little, there's a familiar thread running through? The king gets saved. All three of these morality tales from exiles. God saves the highest office occupier in the land. Whoa. 40 days and you are nuked, and Nineveh repents before God. By the way, someday, not far from now, that very message, slight alteration in the wording, that very message will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. In fact, let's put it on the screen. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. And I say, let's read this out loud together. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Jesus, when he was here, how did he preach? He says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Curtain's coming. We're about this far. Wow. So here's the question for you. Would you be upset if this message goes to all the kings and politicians, all the presidents and prime ministers, all the cities and all the countries of earth, would you be upset if they if they chose to respond positively to that appeal? Would you be upset if they respond positively, just like the kings in these exilic tales, and God says, okay, I'm calling it off. No destruction. No judgment. Now. Would you be upset? One thing we know about Jonah, he was ticked off, right? And I think of this little faith community that I have had the privilege of belonging to all my life. 
since the day they sang all to Jesus, I surrender. And my father baptized me, and I came up looking straight into my dad's face. That's what I was thinking about with tears in my eyes as we sang that hymn a moment ago. So I've hung around. But I know, I know this faith community. I know people that call themselves Adventists. Ooh. Adventists, what's that old word mean? Oh, people that have the expectation of the soon coming of Christ. I know that in this Adventist community, there are people who say, you know what, God? What are you thinking of? Do you know? Do you know what time it is? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Let's go. We've been at this thing for decades. I've been at it. And the closer you get to your demise or ending the more urgent becomes that desire. I don't care if you... Listen, nuke the world. Just get me home. We are no better than Jonah. Nuke Nineveh. I'll be fine. Same. Same way. We fall into that trap and say, wrap it up. I'm ready. Did it ever occur to you that you are not the only one on this planet right now? (laughs) Carly Simon used to sing that song. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. And I know people in my faith community that think that's what this ending is all about. It's us. Are you serious? You can't be serious. There's a world out there. So would it, would it, would it bother you if... Uh, All the politicians that are in high office that you can think of right now converted to Jesus Christ, became true believers. And God says, I'm calling off. I I can wait. The only reason he would call it off, by the way, is so I can reach more people. You've given me some time now. Perfect. Would that bother you? Hmm. Okay, well, that's exactly what God does. He calls it off, verse 10. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He pulled back and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Mm -mm. I told you so. I told you you were going to do that. Back when you gave me the invitation, you did it. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. (laughs) What's going on here? Lee Beach, in his inspiring little book, The Church in Exile, Living in Hope After Christendom, makes the point well. Put the words on the screen for you. A key theological perspective reflected in the call for Jonah to preach in Nineveh is the potential transformation of one's what? Come on, one's what? The story is talking about your enemies. The potential transformation of your enemies. You think of the person at the office that you just can't stand. You think of the person in your school that you just cannot stand. You think of the people, in the, the person in the, the neighbor in your neighborhood. You can't stand him. Those enemies of yours are the target of God. Yeah, Beach is right. Keep reading. A Nineveh. I'll start at the top. A key theological perspective reflected in the call for Jonah to preach in Nineveh is the potential transformation of one's enemies through repentance. Clearly what God has in mind, and Jonah knows it. He knows exactly what God is doing. 
clearly what God has in mind is to change the Assyrians so that God will not send judgment on them. Jonah would rather maintain Nineveh as an enemy than see them transformed into the followers of Yahweh and thereby escape divine judgment, end quote. Now, look, here's how Jonah was thinking. God says, I need you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah is thinking to himself, man, I got that Hosea prophecy. <laughs> that means we're going to end up in Assyria as exiles. We're not going to do it. What is Jonah hoping? By not going to Nineveh, God will be forced to nuke Nineveh. And if God nukes Nineveh, good riddance to bad rubbish. Gone. One less enemy for Israel to have to worry about. That's what Jonah's thinking. He thinks he will thwart the divine divine purpose and plan. Oh, he's ticked. Because Nineveh to him is the enemy. You know what the irony of this story is? Listen, the irony of this story is that Jonah is absolutely right about God and his character. We always treat the story as, well, Jonah's kind of, it doesn't have a good picture of God, not a clear theological understanding of God. Are you kidding? It is as clear as they come. When Jonah speaks those words, I know that you're gracious and you're compassionate and I know you're abounding in love. When Jonah speaks those words, he's quoting Exodus 34, God's self-revelation to Moses. Moses, this is who I am. Jonah is quoting that. I know who you are. Jonah knows. He knows that God is gracious. And by the way, he still is. Some of you are not sure about the character of God. You're not sure that this God, you ought to let him get too close to you because look at the stuff that happens to people who get close to him. That is defective thinking because he still is gracious. He still is compassionate. He still is slow to anger. He still does abound in love. In fact, saving Nineveh proves Jonah's picture of God. He's fighting his own stance. Lee Beach, one more time, on the screen. The book of Jonah radically challenges the dogma that Israel is worth more than the other nations, teaching instead that God cares for its enemies. Isaiah 45, 22, God stretches out his hands and he says, come to me, all you ends of the earth. You come to me and I will save you. Just come to me. He says it to the whole planet. The book of Jonah radically challenges the dogma that Israel is worth more than the other nations, teaching instead that God cares for its enemies. Accordingly, Israel's restoration will include participation with their neighbors rather than separation from their neighbors. Sometimes faith communities get a little parochial, and they draw themselves in, and they put fences around where they are, and they only go out to shop. They only go out to fill their car with gas, but then they're back inside again. Hmm. Wow. God cares for our enemies. And by the way, that's why he invented exiles. You know he in, he's the one who invented exiles? Yeah, he invented them. You know why he did invent exiles? Because God is a missionary God. And he has his heart on more than just his chosen people, whether you want to call them Israel or whether you want to call them Christians or you want to call them the remnant. He has a much bigger vision of rescuing the human race. Yep. You probably think this song is about you. And that's why God gives a line to the exiles. Oh, I wish Jonah had seen this line. If Jonah had seen this line, we wouldn't have Jonah's kind of 
melting down the way we have it in this story. But this didn't get released till the other prophet with a J named Jeremiah quotes God. And so I, I need you to go back in your Bible. Just go back to Jeremiah 29. You got to see this in your own Bible. I know we're going to put it on the screen, but do you have it there in your Bible? And then mark this verse up in your Bible so that you don't forget it really is in our Bibles. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. God speaking. So seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pause button right there. Who carried them into exile? Who carried them into exile? God did. He had a plan. That's why you lost the job, by the way. You were so happy with that job. You were making it on that job. And God says, you know what? You're way too comfortable. I need to move you out. I'm going to find another job for you. But this one's just gone. That's why you lost that friendship, by the way. You were so focused on that friend who was distracting you from God's divine will for your life that God says, that friendship's over. Adios. Let's talk. That's why you no longer live in the neighborhood, that comfort zone you once lived in. God said, you're out of here. I don't want you in that neighborhood. I need you as an exile to be where the world interfaces with you. Wow. But it gets even better. I'll read it again. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it because, and here it comes, if it what? If it prospers, you too will what? You will prosper. Can you believe that? It's almost like we have a little reciprocal return going on here. It's almost as if in seeking to save others, we end up saving ourselves. Because if they prosper, you too will prosper. It's almost as if in seeking to save the church, and everybody's so preoccupied these days with saving the church. Get off. God will save the church. Jesus is the Savior, the Lord of the church anyway. But it's almost as if in seeking to save the world, we save the church. Because as they prosper, you too will prosper. That's it. Reciprocal return, testifying of your faith in Jesus. When you set out to, to save someone's life, and I'm talking about someone on the job. I'm talking about someone in the neighborhood. I'm talking about somebody you play with. I'm, somebody you study with. Somebody you work with. Somebody. I don't care who, where, when. It doesn't matter. If you set out to save someone else's life, guess what? Your life gets saved. It's the reciprocal return. These three testimonies, beautiful testimonies that we just witnessed. We're so proud of you. They already are penetrating hearts. And these three have become missionaries now, exiles, to communicate the good news of the gospel. Yep. The reciprocal return of witnessing. Jonah thinks, by the way, that if Nineveh re repents, Israel is doomed. It could very well be, in fact, that had, that had Nineveh not repented, the annihilation of Israel would have been much earlier than it was. You don't know the mind of God. Don't you try to second guess. You're in exile. You're not home yet, but you're going home. But God says, I have put you where nobody else is. There's nobody but you there. And I'm needing you. I'm counting on you. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Lo, I'm with you always. Ah, oh, what a God.
Because if they prosper, you too will prosper. 